Today we're introducing a new six-part series. It's produced and hosted by Donald Brink, and episodes will be published weekly. He has his own podcast, which uh, you may or may not be aware of. It's called Swell With My Soul. You can and you should subscribe to it right now in whatever app you're listening in. I'm going to publish this first episode here on Surf Splendor's feed, but if you enjoy it, you'll be able to hear the next five episodes on Swell With My Soul. This series was recorded earlier this month in Bonnie Dune, California. Donald was there with a group of board builders and surfers working on concepts and projects, and he took time each day to sit down and record some of those conversations. His guests for this series are Jeff McCallum, Jason Woodside, Cliff Capono, Derek Disney, Jay Nelson, and Travis Reynolds. Today's episode is with Jeff McCallum, and I love Jeff. I'm sad to say that I've never actually ridden any of his boards, even though I'm drawn to them more than almost any others that I encounter. It's just that I've interviewed too many shapers to actually get boards from each of them. And beyond that, Jeff's boards are simply hard to get. You rarely see them at retail because Jeff and his crew only make a very limited amount. And that's kind of like Jeff himself. He's scarce in surf media. He rarely participates in interviews choosing instead to focus his time and attention on making surfboards imagine that but he and donald are good friends and so we get the benefit of sitting in on this conversation really interesting stuff in here about quote sustainability in surfboards and eco certification also some really good technical information about board design fin design and fin setups and of course, lamination. Jeff's laminator is the much revered Super Wolf. So I'm gonna go ahead and hand it off right here to uh, Jeff McCallum and Donald Brink. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here's episode number one of six of Donald Brink's Creative Kin series. I hope that you enjoy it. This is a conversation with Jeff McCallum. 2020 early February and we're talking about color creativity perfection hobbies legacy repair mentality we know his work we're trying to understand what makes him tick kind of how he's wired and some early perspectives on what mattered to him and putting this path together that we've come to love appreciate and understand from a distance and now somewhat up in depth it's uh, a little bit about metal fabrication and his appreciation for woodcrafting, the tension between aesthetics and design, some color theory, how to get in to the groove and stay there, and even some fin dimensions, how fatherhood's changed his perspective and highlight what matters to him and his family and the one in which he grew up in. Jeff, thank you for your time and perspective as you share on creativity, perfection, Color, legacy, and repair. This is Jeff McCallum. It's so nice, huh? Yeah. See if he does fire up the planer. Oh, it's not going to be a problem, but yeah, yeah. Is that thing of super fish eyed? It is. Yeah, yeah, it's wide. Yeah. Yeah, they hooked them up for us to... I guess they partnered with us on this trip. Yeah. So just... Um, How's this little 
this little thing is trippy, huh? So the story was it was built as a uh, bought as a kit um, through um, Whole Earth Catalog. Yeah, you could ship it. And something about the owners of the property originally were somehow involved with um, them. So for some (laughs) reason, there was a connection there, but yeah. But it was like a little steam lodge, huh? I think a sauna, yeah. Sauna. Yeah. Sauna. Sauna. I don't know why this isn't connecting all door with that. Um, check the levels here. Yep. I mean, it goes without saying, just introduce yourself so people know who you are. And yeah, we'll hit a couple questions. Feel free to take things wherever you want to take them. But yep. I think the things you talked about there on mic right now with Steve were really interesting. And we'll go into a few of those, but don't feel like you have to repeat yourself. Yeah, yeah. This okay. will be additional to that. So. Yep. Yeah, introduce yourself and tell oh, us. Yeah. My name is uh, Jeff McCallum, and I shape surfboards in San Diego, California. It, it um, It's a question that's been asked of me every now and again, and I've never asked it of somebody else whose work I admire at such a level, but let's say tomorrow you couldn't shape surfboards, what would you do? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, if I couldn't shape at all, period. Sure. Yeah, I don't know, I'd probably build rock crawlers cars fabrication metal fabrication so then the the act of being creative is something i want to get into a little bit and hear your your point of view on if i commissioned you a task to whittle something away and carve it or um build it up do you like additional or subtractive medium (laughs) yeah that's hard to say too is it's a good question but uh, I would say, I'd, I guess I'd build it up, but it's, it depends on the material too, you know, you can't add foam. So I'm not used to building anything up. Usually used to taking it away, even metal, you know, metal is more forgiving than wood, which is kind of surprising. So you can fill little gaps with welds and puddles and stuff, but um, things like, it seems like woodwork has to be really, really precise and tight. And you know, metal work, obviously the better, the tighter and the better, but it's a little bit more forgiving. So you're good with what, TIG welding, MIG welding, mild steel? I mean, what do you... Yeah, MIG welding mostly. Sure. Yeah. But in wood, I can't work with wood at all for anything for whatever reason. It's just, it just doesn't work. I can't do it. I'd rather make it out of steel. I love that. I love that you've brought this up because it's, you look at a surfboard and you, it seems so akin to like a... Um, yeah, cabinets. Yeah, cabinets yeah, and yeah, like yeah. a woodcrafter, but it's... It's woodworking it, tools too, but it's not. It's not. It's different. I 100% agree. Yeah, for some reason, I've never been able to like, groove with wood. I mean, I've tried projects and stuff at home, but I just can't. I don't know. It's something about it, but steel came to me pretty quick. Like surfboard foam, it was a, you know, it's always a struggle shaping in the beginning and you work through it, but steel came pretty easily to me and more natural than wood maybe i'm just not even comfortable in fo- like like sawdust and i don't know something about it it's just hard <laughs> it seems it's hilarious hard. as a shaper saying that but no i, yeah, I hear uh, you I, I hear you did w- do you think you were naturally talented with tools or is it and and obviously you are or was it like when you cross-reference those other crafts, was it that you had a vision that you could see so clearly in your mind? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, in your mind. But. No, I, I don't think it was like a, a, I wasn't like naturally gifted with tools. I think it was just the way I was brought up. I think my dad is super handy and always been, 
you know, as a kid, he'd be working on sprinklers and I'd be right there and he'd say, oh, go get me a Phillips head screwdriver on run and go grab it and bring it back. And, you know, so I think being around him and doing that kind of stuff and he was always working on cars and stuff like that, that the tool thing was just always there. And so I was just second nature at this point, you know, like, uh, versus like this natural thing. I was just drawn to it. I think it was just always part of my life. And you know, I got three older brothers and it's, yeah, I think that was it. They were doing the same stuff. So tools and making things was always there, you know. Would he let you help and hold you accountable to whatever age or level or kind of like, or would you just have to watch and stick it? Do you know those, yeah. there's, there's two types of dads. Well, maybe three, some that aren't there, some <laughs> yeah. that let you help yeah. and some that just piss you off and no, won't would, let you get involved. I think some projects, you know, he would do it and I would watch, but others, I'd, I'd had some, uh, I saved a little money and I sold, he had some random antique furniture that was given to him and they sold that. And to this guy who had this little Jeep, it was like a 1946 Jeep Willys and the guy happened to be an antique guy. So there's like a little cash, a little trade and I got this little Jeep. And so we worked on that together. So some projects was him, it was his deal. Like it was whatever it was, but the little, the Jeep, we pulled it into his little shop and one winter in Colorado, it was cold. We took it apart and started working on it. So that we did a lot together. What age were you then? I was probably 16, 17. And your brothers are older or younger? Yeah, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest? Yeah. So just the age gaps then? Oh, shit, I don't even know. The oldest is, I don't know, I should know, but. <laughs> yeah. Probably, Way older. Yeah. He's my half-brother. The oldest is sure. probably, I don't even know, 50, and then uh 76 was the other one was born because I had his fake ID forever, June 7th, 1976. <laughs> so however old that is, and the other one's a couple years older than that. So I'm the youngest. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And I think that modeling from one generation or one um, you know, family member to another is so important. Um, and I I really am I'm, I'm so honored to be involved with this creators and innovators program that Visla has and it's really inspiring to watch other people build things and so on and so forth. But I, I, I constantly think about the motivation to garner a spirit of repairing things, learning how to fix things. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are in our society. We essentially, let's call it a disposable mindset that we have. But what are your thoughts on rather getting people to start fixing things before you want to start building things? Because it seems like it's the same thing. And being a mechanic or wrenching on cars, you would for sure know what I'm talking about yeah. or have a good point of view. You, uh, I think it's, like you said, we're in this disposable world where everything just goes in the trash. But in some of it, you can't fix. It's just unfixable, you know, which is kind of sad too, you know. But I think repairing things and fixing them is just it's good for everybody it's good for your mind it's good for the environment i mean it's it's just the way it kind of should be even now my daughter she had, you know she had a little fan you push in these two little fans but it broke i broke it. i spun it too fast and it broke she so she was bumped so we went out in the garage and got a screwdriver and we took it all apart and one little teeth on the wheel cog had snapped and so we just spun it recentered it and it it works you know versus throwing away and buying a new one but she has a little toolbox and a little toolkit and you know, it's a little pink plastic screwdriver, and she'll, you know, tip her uh, sawhorse or a little uh, rocking horse over and start screwing, you know. And so I, that is, uh, uh, those are the moments I like with her, you know, is what my dad taught me, teaching her. And 
that's just part of it. Repairing things, fixing things, taking care of things is super important. Pride and ownership is huge with us, you know, and huge in what I do is we want people to be stoked to own one of your boards versus I'll you know, just throw it away, you know, like you see all the pop outs and stuff and, you know, the, that are trending right now and super popular and where are all those going to go? They're going to go in a landfill for sure. And where are our boards going to go? They're going to be passed down to the next kid, you know? So it might be eco-friendly in some bullshit China factory that has an eco certification, but all those are going in the landfill for sure. You know, you could just go destroy it, crack and you ding it, you go buy another one, right? Ours, you don't, you they're hard to get. They're, they're unique and might not be certified eco if that's even a real thing, but you're going to cherish it. You're going to have pride and ownership and you're going to give it to someone or take care of it. And if you ding it, you're going to fix it, you know? So it's all tied together, you know. It's important. I I, I agree. I really do. And I, I, that brings up the. I don't want to call it a, a divide. I can't find the word right now. But let's just say there's a difference between, um, functional boards that perform really well that are built to work and last and can be ridden from one generation to another. So yeah. within a wave spectrum. And then there's the aesthetics of boards. Now, you and your talented crew have, I mean, it's obviously one of the reasons why you've done so well and why you are so well, so well known. But if there's a tension between whether a board's aesthetically um, pleasing and sold or bought and always kept <laughs> yeah. um, and only function, when does your job get challenging when you start to be sort of pushed down design lines or aesthetical lines that aren't pleasing or do you just not let that happen? Well, sometimes it happens. I mean, there's certain things that like, uh, I feel like my personal boards are in the that bridging that gap. So I don't spend as much time making the aesthetics as dialed, but they're still pretty dialed and unique, but it's all about function, you know? So it's all about weight and finish. I'm not worried about, you know, I get sand finished because I want them light and I don't care if it's a little bit scratchy, you know, like, but you put that on the rack, some guys go, oh, it looks like shit. You know what I mean? And so there is that, that fine line between what I ride and not, cause, but I can make them, you know, I, I don't care if it lasts, like the aesthetics of it, if it gets scratched and beat up, it's okay. Cause I just make them, you know, it's, I'm not spending $1,200 on something. I want to keep it super cherry, you know? So, but then in, some guys or some, especially overseas, they want them super strong. So then they get heavier. And to me, certain boards, you want them really light. And so you, there's a fine line there, but that's where Alex comes in. I mean, he's structurally such a good laminator that his aesthetic is insane and it looks super cool and beautiful, but his technique and his like foundation and glassing is one of the best there is. And so his boards are structurally super sound, strong, light, and they last, you know, so you can make a look board look pretty and put it on Instagram it looks pretty. But if you don't have the foundation before that, it's not going to, it's not going to be good. You know, it's not going to work as good. It's not going to be as strong. So you can, you can kind of fudge the gap with a guy like him. So you could put a little bit lighter glassing and stuff like that and make the board still last, but still perform, you know? So there is a fine line between that. There is. And it depends on the customer too, you know? Sure. I know, I sometimes wonder if we made our jobs more impossible because we spend so much time to detail and aesthetic making these shiny plastic-looking special Christmas ornaments, so to speak, 
putting them in surf shops and people fell in love with that whereas when you said your personal boards you don't care about certain things because you're chasing something else that might not be showroom ready yeah it's like well at what point are we supposed to be riding what the showroom speaks of versus what the creators you know what i mean like there's there's two sets of rules and i mean i really feel like deep down people that really want the feeling and the sensation of surfboards are more in tune with what you would ride or what you would make for yourself but yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting conversation between aesthetical detail and pure function yeah but everybody's different too i mean alex loves a satin finish i mean so he gets heavy glass and a satin finish you know so it's individually based you know and that's what they are they're individual but a lot of people can't come in and tell you what they like so you know you do you start getting pigeonholed into things that yeah and you gotta feel it out i mean you gotta do you like them light you know or do you really hard on your stuff or if you give them a light glass and you gotta say hey you gotta keep this thing in a board bag put it you know on rail in your car don't stack a bunch of stuff on it and know that it's it's fragile or or is that a word but you know more know that you have to take care of this thing you know because it's it's a highly tuned machine, you know. It's like if you had a Ferrari, you're gonna take better. You gotta tune it. You gotta, you know, they're high maintenance versus a Ford Escort. It comes back to that repair mentality, and it's one of the best things about our craft. It's like surfing's amazing. You can fix and repair pretty much everything. You know, yeah. it's it's one one really special thing. About, I mean, we're not making flat screen TVs here. Yeah, you can pull the thing apart and, and you put it back tune, together. You mean skip? tunes his boards i mean he'll he has a little fanny pack with sandpaper and stuff and he'll ride them and he'll tune the edges tune the fins i mean and it's like most average surfers say i don't know i can't feel that but you'd be shocked i mean a 16th or an eighth inch on a fin you'll feel it like no doubt no matter how good you i mean as long as you can go down the line you're gonna notice it so you can dial in your own equipment too a lot of people are scared and, and sometimes you have these beautiful gloss and polish you want to take a piece of you know 40 grit or 80 grit to it but you know satins and sand finish you just you got to know your thing but that was part of me too is everything i own i kind of want to be a part of it i don't want to just be the guy who has a car and doesn't know how to fix it if it breaks you know or like the stuff i do is rock crawling and so if you have a rock crawl and you break in the middle of the trail you don't want to be the guy just standing around going oh what do i do you want to know the inner workings, you know, and surfboards are the same. I want to know what's doing what, and everything I do is like that. I want to understand it and be knowledgeable of it and not be the, you know, the guy that's just doing it. But I have friends that rip and are like that. I have no idea about their board or care about their board. It's just a board, and, you know, so everybody's different. They are, and it's, I mean, there are so many types of people, and there's therefore so many types of surfers, and yeah, yeah. that's why there's something for everyone. I mean, I have the same fascination with how things work and how things are built. But, um, yeah, it's – I do think challenging people to change your fins, try things, yeah. experiment, like the sensation, because it is so personal. When you build up a repertoire, I mean, I'm imagining Skip, his book of tricks and his bank of reference within his mind on tuning is – yeah as old as easy yeah as he is yeah and he gets in these tangents and you know he'll get down this path and take off on it and it takes him somewhere and then he'll change you know so and if he rode the same thing every time it wouldn't happen but he's always into something and when he's into it he gets so fired up it's it's cool the energy he has is is you know it's amazing talking about that energy what's something you're working on right now that's what's the last tangent you've pursued and i've been stuck on the like a twin fin eggs for a few years now 
How long are those boards? Uh, they're longer than what I used to. I used to have a lot of small boards, but these ones are seven zero. And then, you know, I rode this, made the seven zero three or four years ago, seven zero twin fin egg thumbtail, and it went nuts. And I rode it a bunch and couldn't get off it. And then, uh, winter came around, and I made one for blacks and like full on pintails, twin fins. And I didn't get the, the season was kind of funny, and the board came kind of late. I didn't get a ton of waves on it. And then this year, I rode it exclusively in good waves good solid waves just a twin fin 80 pintail and it's been super fun it just flies i even i made a quad i was all fired up for this big swell was coming so i made a 90 quad it was a giant swell and i just couldn't it just it wouldn't go it was just like bah it just felt so slow compared to the twin that i i wrote it that one day and i, I stashed it and i'm gonna cut the fins off and make it a twin fin would you mind sharing the bottom contours and where the fins are and the yeah, the details of the fin. The same as all my fin or all my boards. It's uh, the first one. It was like this big debate because I'd I've been in really into bonzers and single fins, and before that was quads, you know. And so I made this egg, and it it looks so weird as a twin fin, you know. I was just because it's really straight thumb tail, and it just looked funky. So I kept going back and forth, but the shape it was the same as all of them: single, like slight single, and a slight double with a little V off the tail. Um, and then finally, last thing, oh, let's just do a twin. I just want to do a twin, you know, and it and it it ripped. Is that keel base or more upright style? It's my it's my template from Captain Finn. Oh, right. So it's right in between a keel and an upright twin. And, and how right far forward is this? Uh, the trailing edge is nine and a half inches up. Okay. But they got that cutaway, so it's a little tricky. But that edge is nine and a half inches up on a seven zero. But that fin is good. I mean, that fin works with a lot of stuff, but it's. It's exactly in the middle. You know, it's not a keel and it's not a upright. It's exactly just enough rake and a little cutaway. And that cutaway came from spoons, from riding flex spoons. So I had, had a bunch of, like, twin flex spoons and quads, but they would flex so much the tails would crack and they'd pop because the fins are farther back. And so I started cutting them away to get, you know, the base away from the flex, push it up. And that's where those, the cutaways came from. So when you've got in this audio <laughs> this audio medium let's go very visual you got a flat foil you got a cutaway the outside foiled surface the cutaway relief i've, I've had experience with almost whistles not hums coming off the trailing edge there yeah. are you foiling into the flat foil or do you just leave a square edge right there uh we always foil in but you know i've i've never had my twins hum i've had more quads hum but there's always my experience is that there's a flat edge somewhere. Yeah, so, on the trailing edge. Yeah, yeah so yeah. You, you tune that in. So I always try and foil them in. I ask the question because there's production fins that are either molded or honeycomb, China made or in state milled. Yep. And there's square flat end references, like a block square end on the bottom of those, and I just I just can't understand it and. I always foil them in, and so it was. It's neat hearing from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah the fins I ride are all production Captain Finn because uh, they have my templates, so it's easy for me. I can just buy them versus make them, you know. But uh, some of them have a little squareness in the edge, but I've never had a, a, a set hum of those. Hmm. What? This is a this is a weird question. So just say pass if if you don't want to even go down this route. I probably wouldn't answer it if someone asked it of me. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when I look at your work and um, I look at your boards and I look at the very clear vision you both have and have had 
that you've consistently tweaking and changing. Yeah. Um, what do you want to be remembered for in the in the surfboard world, or is that something that you do think about, or is it not important? Yeah, I don't think it's important at all. You know, I I mean, the surfboard world is very interesting, right? And I know what I've created, you know, and what was unique for from us, from my shop, and with Alex. And I know what I've like, you know, not taking away from anything from Alex, but I know what I've told Alex I want, and know what's come up and where it's gone. So it doesn't matter if anyone remembers us or what I did, or it doesn't matter at all. I just could care less, really. Hmm. I mean, I I still I'm not. I enjoy doing it, and I don't. Oh, it, like it's not going to make me enjoy it any more or less if we're remembered or not. You know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't bother me. I know what I did. It, it's all that matters. And you know, people like Alex knows, and people that I really, truly value their opinion know what we've done, and they're a part of it. And, Anyone outside of that in the inner circle, it does not matter one bit, you know? I love it. There's a a tension between getting things done well, getting things done right, making enough money, doing enough volume, doing enough production, whatever it is. You're a craftsman, you're a mechanic, there's a necessity for perfection. I know yep. you wired that way. Yeah, yeah. How? What is? How do you wrestle that bear within yourself? The conversation in your mind would be most interesting to hear. But yep. what's your relationship with with that perfection that you're pursuing been for you? Yeah, that's a tricky one too. Because if it was a hobby and you're doing it for fun, you can spend the extra time beyond time. You know, just as much time as you want to search for absolute perfection. But perfection for me has never been a tip top goal, you know, because it's a it's a handmade thing and it's surfboards and it's surfboard resin. So you take one batch of resin, you break it in two parts, you catalyze them. One will go off different than the other. You know, there's things you can't control. Same with blanks. There's different, you know, so it's out of your control a little bit. So to me, I think coming from where I came is I don't measure a lot either. I go off hands and eye. Right. And you could measure to the point where you're you're blue in the face, you know what I mean? Like you can get too into the that side of the perfection. It's gotta feel right and it's gotta look right. And if it looks like it's gonna go, it's gonna go. Right. Even marking fins, you know, there's guy took over my old glass shop and he said, Hey, how do I mark these fins? What what measurement should I use? And I just walked in there and put it on and moved it too far forward, moved it too far back, all right there. You know, it's what it looks like. It doesn't matter the number. So there is that, right? But you still, I'm super anal, you know? Like when I went shape that room, I cleaned it all. I put all everyone else's stuff out of the way. I just might, you know? So I need things tight and clean and and they got to be perfect. But you got to get them out the door too, you know? So it is this inner battle. And having a glass shop was hard because there's little imperfections, right? And so you got to decide. There'll just be a point where you got to say, it's got to go through, you know. A, we need to get it done. We need to get paid is a huge part of it, sadly enough. But it's got to it's got to go through, and it's you know it's not perfect. But uh, then you get Alex, who's like super wants everything perfect, but he doesn't understand the back end and how much money's going out and how much money needs to come in. So it's easy perspective is him. It's not we got to fix that and spend another week on him. Like no, it's got to go out. You know, and you know. Some people appreciate the little imperfections. The Japanese do for sure. I mean, they don't want 
junk and they don't want trash. But there, I think there's a word, wabasabi or something. I wouldn't have quoted it, but that's what I remember it to be. Yeah, that a little imperfection is what makes it unique. And it is a handmade thing. And mistakes happen. But a mechanic thing is different. Your life can depend on that. You know, as long as like, you don't want to mess mess with brakes. If your, you know, brake line flare isn't perfect, you're going to redo it because your brakes could fail and you could die. You know what I mean? But a surfboard, you know, I mean, an air bubble here or there or whatever, you know, a piece of tape in the lap it's not going to kill anyone you know what i mean so yeah it's it's it is a battle but you want to keep striving for perfection that's it but it's one of those things that's just always just out of reach it's you got to understand that that it's never going to be perfect and at the end of the day it's just a reward you know what i mean i love it you're clearly a great craftsman yeah, I consider you an artist. I don't know if you would self-title yourself that, but let's if I commissioned you to do a painting or take a photograph or produce a short movie, which would you choose to do right now? Uh, probably a painting. Would you, you know? paint it quickly or very slowly? I'd probably get blacked out drunk and paint it. <laughs> I don't know. Me and my brother used to do that. So I said, my brother was actually a pretty cool painter, but like just for fun and... That's what he'd do. He'd just get smashed and or go out. You know, he's in college and go party and come home and paint and stuff. And we used to do it together. It was fun. So How big were the paintings? He did some giant. We did one together after a big, long Mexico trip. It's still in my garage. It's pretty hilarious. But, yeah, some are huge. I mean, you know, yeah, it was fun. I love it. But, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd like paint. But I can't sketch. I'm, I'm not a great, ske- you know, like artist like that. And, I think I have a good sense of color, so painting kind of ties in that, like abstract painting, though, you know. <laughs> That's funny. That was kind of maybe going to be my next question, and now it definitely is. I have a relationship with certain colors, and I don't know where it came from, but I just hate them. Oh, yeah. Are there any too. you just absolutely hate, and can you describe one or two of them? Yeah, like uh, Kelly Green. I hate Kelly <laughs> Green, you know. <laughs> I'm laughing. Yeah. yeah, like certain colors you just hate. Some colors I love, you know. Super dark, like a really rich magenta is killer. But yeah, like Kelly Green or foresty greens, I'm not a big green guy. Hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know, everybody has that though, I think. Absolutely. Even ask my two-year-old, oh, what's your color? Pink. Mm-hmm. You know, what color don't you like? You know, whatever. Yeah. Fantastic. The last question is something that I'm going to sort of be asking everyone throughout the week while we're building things. And um, yeah, once again, it's a fussy one, but you know, we have all these ideas and there's sort of creativity's flowing and people working on things. But um, twofold, do you ever think about where these ideas come from, or do you do you worry about? where they're coming from or if there will be a shortage of it like stuff's coming into us or through us where is it coming from do you wrestle with that or not not too much but i know what you're talking about i mean it's interesting isn't it yeah when you get in the groove sometimes you don't know where it comes from and you wonder you know like or even you'll do something like you know i don't really like where did that come from you know but i don't try and stress on it too much you know or if they're gonna stop but you know, maybe they do. They, I think people, it happens, musicians and stuff for sure. And I think it's where you're at, right? When you're young and hungry and you got to get it, you know, you want to create something and 
you I think you're hungry and you want it. But if you get comfortable and sort of soft, I think it can creativity can go to the or if it's not your focus, you know. Hmm. You get distracted by other things, you know, creativity you get your focus can go elsewhere. But I don't think that's a bad thing either, you know. I think to go full steam full speed ahead all the time on something is it can get uh it can be bad too you know you got to spread it out a little bit and then you take interest from that and put it back into what you originally were doing you know do you play other sports i used to play basketball a lot but i just can't afford to get hurt now you know mm-hmm. i tore an acl in college and that was sort of it mm-hmm. but i still beat anybody in pig <laughs> <laughs> i've never lost a game of pig in my life <laughs> yeah but no do you um uh a little bit. My wife and I started playing tennis. I bought these vintage oh, tennis, tennis rackets, just as a team building exercise. And so we yeah. play every weekend. And That's but now fun. we're going to get into pickleball because it's it just seems because all they changed all the courts now, so there's less tennis courts. Around. Oh yeah, yeah. What's uh, pickleball? A uh, pickleball is like um, it looks like a smaller square hard bat. It's like a mixture yeah. between ping pong and tennis, and yeah. the courts um a quarter of the tennis court size. So there's four oh, courts yeah. for in a big court. Big ball. It's a wiffle ball. It's got holes in. Oh, really light like a wiffle ball. Yeah. So you can whack yeah. it, but it doesn't go as far. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, so you get the badminton stroke. Yeah, badminton's cool too. Yeah. I, I, I asked the question only because I feel like the older I'm getting and the more I'm observing people's pods and trying to make sense of everything and watching my children grow, but it feels like the way you do one thing is pretty much the way you do all yeah. things, you know? Like, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton of time either, you know, Sure. with two little kids and a business and a shop. So uh, the rock calling thing takes up a lot of time, free time. But I don't know if that's a sport, but it's, I don't know what you'd call it. But it's really similar to making surf equipment and especially big wave surf equipment because you, you make this big gun and then the waves show up and you have got no excuses not to go, you know. You're, you're ready. And when you go on these rock calling trips, you build this car and you – get out there and some of the obstacles are super scary and dangerous and you know they're you're scared and you're have no excuse not to try you know so it's it's insane but it's the same sort of fear and the same sort of building this thing and building a board and getting there and thinking about where it's going to go and then there's a lot of parallels in it i feel like you've done that with your creative path to date so see it's all the same yeah it's all the same it is hats off jeff and uh thanks for your openness and your honesty even with dimensions and what inspires you and the things that make you tick it's yeah no, i think so. it's really interesting to hear it and also see it in action watching your shape and watching people asking you questions throughout this space and where we are right now but yeah thanks for sharing your thoughts and time. Oh, thank you All right, thank you so much for that, Donald. This is, of course, the first of a six-part series that Donald Brink is doing called Creative Kin, and it is available over on his podcast feed, which is Swell With My Soul. You can find it in the app that you are currently listening in, and then just click subscribe to make sure that you get all future episodes for free when they are uploaded. And you can also access all of his podcasts on surfsplendorpodcast.com as we are publishing them as a part of this network. 
And then incidentally, I actually um, did an episode with Jeff McCallum back in 2017. That's episode number 171 of Surf Splendor. So I've linked to that in your show notes as well. So check that out and be sure to follow Jeff's work on Instagram at McCallum Surfboards. He's making really insane boards that uh, that I think anybody would be proud to uh, collect, not for the sake of collecting, but for having uh, indefinitely and then being able to pass them down. So check that stuff out. Thank you to Donald Brink. He's actually going to be headed to Australia Uh, I think next week, and he's going to be recording a bunch more podcasts there. So as this six-part series expires in six weeks, there'll be much more content coming from Donald. I'll be back here on Surf Splendor next week with an episode with Ryan Harris of Earth Technology Surfboards. So you can look forward to that. And then, of course, Friday, I'll be connecting with Chas Smith for an episode of The Grit. So there's that to look forward to as well. Follow us on social media at Surf Splendor to keep up with all of it. And that is all that I have for you now and for this week. So thanks as always for listening. This is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor. Until next week, get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on.